Welcome to another message from Life Point Church, located at 400 South Abilene in Valley Center, Kansas. For more information on Life Point Church, go to our website at lpcag.org. It is our prayer to invest in generations to influence community. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Steve Rains. Let's get to the message. If you have your Bible, go to Romans 9. And I open up with, well, kind of snickering to myself because how many have heard of the Midwestern goodbye? Or good night? How many practice that or you find yourself practicing the Midwestern goodbye frequently? The Midwestern goodbye is this. You're talking with somebody and you're like, well, Mike, I, I need to go. Oh, yeah. Hey, Mike, did you hear about, you know, and you head into another conversation. Well, I really need to go. You know, and then you break into another. How many of you are guilty of, of that? And like 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, you're still going, well, I missed that appointment or whatever, you know. And so last week, Romans chapter 9, as we step today, it's kind of like, well, we're not done yet with chapter 9. And uh, last week we mentioned as we dove into this chapter, we're looking at a passage of Scripture that's been the subject of, of much theological articulation and speculation. People use it to draft theological positions, or they do this as they're reading through it. Well, there's another chapter. I can't wait to get there because I don't get this, right? And they don't understand it, so they're just like, we're moving on. And Paul's intention in pausing here in chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11 isn't to put us to sleep or overwhelm us with a deep passage of Scripture that, man, I just feel like I can't understand this, but rather he's exposing to us the powerful truth of that we can have confidence and assurance in God's Word and in God's promises and for us to, to lean into that, that we can say, God is true to his word that I can stand on his promises and this is evidence of that and so why is that even a question why would Paul even ponder that well he does so because of what's happening in Romans chapter 8 and we we spent several months just walking through Romans 8 there's incredible promises there like Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30 there's an incredible promise there and you have to remember Paul's writing to Jews and Paul is talking to them about these promises that they can have this assurance, that you and I can have this assurance and rock-solid confidence that if he started something in you, then he's going to be faithful to complete that thing. And Nick, man, he's begun something in you. Nick was sharing with us um, before service uh, just what's unfolded in his life and just he's just like overwhelmed by the goodness of God and things that are happening and, and that he's God's not done he's going to complete it he's going to get you across the finish line if he began a good work in you he's, he's faithful, faithful, faithful to complete it that's God's promise however as you start chapter 9 with this reality, not everyone who should be experiencing the promises of God, speaking of Paul's audience that he's, he's referencing here, the Israelites, they're not experiencing the promises of God 
They're not encountering them at this moment. And he points to the nation of Israel, and he says, as he, you know, the first uh, three verses, six verses there of Romans 9, he's brokenhearted for them. And he's saying, man, if I could give my salvation for my, my fellow kinsmen, I would do so. Because they're not living out the promises of God. They're not encountering the promises of God. And I, and I so want that for them. They're separated from those promises. And so last week we wrestled with the question that the promises don't work for Israel because they're separated. How can I be confident that they're going to work for me? How can you be confident in, in your current realities and the situations that you, are, that you are facing in your life? How can you be confident that God who began a good work in you is going to be faithful, faithful, faithful to complete it? So that you can sing a song like, I trust in God, and, and he heard and he answered, and, and it doesn't matter the storm that I'm facing, I have an anchor point. We looked at why God's word never fails in verses 6 through 18. And, and well, <laughs> Paul's continuing that line of thought as we're focusing on how, God prom how his promises are received and how do I experience the promise of God? How do I walk in them? How do I apply them to my life and to my future and where I find myself? And maybe find myself in the middle of a storm and how do I apply them there? That's where we pick up this morning verse 16 says so then it depends not on human will or exertion but on god who has who has mercy for the scripture says to pharaoh for this very purpose that i raised you up that i might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth so that when so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills and if all of that is true that god's involved in that then how can God find fault if he's the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart? How can he find fault with Pharaoh? So it's just, we're going to meddle a little bit and mess, you know, and cause, you went deep last Sunday, we're going to go deep again, and, and you have to stick with me, and if, you, if your neighbor starts nodding off, give him a holy elbow, right? Verse 19 you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who, who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use, another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Paul begins to unpack how the promises are received, how they're applied to our life right here in this passage of Scripture. So here's the big idea this morning, how to apply God's promises in our life. The first thought is this, is that we recognize who God is. Paul dives into this by tackling a question that is posed to him in verse 19. It says, you will say to me then, underline that if you're, okay underlining in your bible you will say to me then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will the then is referring to what paul is writing about in verses 16 through 18 
God hardening Pharaoh's heart. That is what the then is about. If, it, if that is true, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then how can God find fault in Pharaoh? That is the question Paul is going to answer for us this morning. How can God justly judge if he was the one who hardened his heart? Sounds like you're in a philosophy class, doesn't it? That is the question Paul is bringing us. Then the follow-up question is this, who can resist his will? And we're going to have fun this morning. This is more challenging than overtime in the Super Bowl. All right? Um, And you survived that. You're here. You bear witness that you survived. So you're going to survive this this morning. The answer to whom can resist his will? No one. What Paul is pushing against, though, is this idea that you have ultimate determination over your own life. And if that's your mindset, then you have adopted a mindset that says, I'm entitled. Which doesn't work. Dr. Brene Brown defines entitlement this way. I deserve this just because I want it. And I say to all of us in love, you aren't self-determining no matter how hard you try. Yet Paul isn't saying your choice doesn't matter. He doesn't, he's not saying you don't have a choice. We have, we have real choices that make real consequences before God and humanity, right? You experienced those personally in your life this week. You watched it unfold in our nation this week. We watched it unfold in Kansas City uh, over the weekend and then what followed throughout the week. You, you see the ripple effect of that. Yes, God is sovereign and works his will, but our choices, our decisions have real effect. And what Paul is going to give is he's going to give two immediate answers that deal with this question. The first answer is this, and it's really deep. You're not God. Verse 20, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? I mean, we have to understand our position in our humanity. We're not God. Some, we, man, we like to try. Sometimes we like to act like we are, but we're not. That word answer back there in Romans 9 is, is one word in the Greek. And it's getting at a deeper issue. It kind of sounds like this. I mean, as you read that, you're like, man, like, is Paul having a bad day? Is he not in a mood for questions? Is Jesus like, is he being snarky towards these people? Or what, what's going on? Is God afraid of our questions? Is he not interested in our questions? Is that what Paul is saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Is that what God is saying? Don't ask me questions. No, that's not what God is saying. God can, how many of you know, God can handle your questions. Do you, do you ever think that you outsmart or overwhelm God with your question? Like God ever goes, oh my goodness, I never thought about that before. If the question isn't the issue, then what's the issue? What's the issue is the motive behind the question. It's the heart behind it. And how do you, Steve, how do you know that? Well, that phrase, answer back, is one word in the Greek, and it shows up in one other place within the New Testament, found in Luke chapter 14, the Gospel of Luke. And Luke 14 revolves, the context around Luke 14 is, is Jesus has been talking, he's been uh, speaking truth, and those that were in the audience were, were, were angry with what Jesus was saying. 
Mainly it was the religious leaders that were pushing back. And in, in Luke 14, verse 6, it says they could not reply to these things. It's the same word that Paul uses here in Romans 9, answer back. And reply is, is as in counter. They want to contradict what Jesus is saying, but, but they can't. It's the same word in Romans 9. This isn't, this isn't a question. This is counteroffensive against the, the God of the universe. And Paul recognizes this as the heart of the issue. It's, listen, we, we, play, we can play it out this way. Um, the person who reads Romans 8 and 9 or all of Scripture and says or has the mindset of this, you know, I don't, I don't agree with this and God's wrong. If I were God, I would do it this way. Or it's the person who says, you know, I know God wants all of my life to be, he wants to be the Lord over all my life and every decision and every part of my life, my relationships, my finances, my future, you know, uh, my friends, all, he, he wants control, he wants to be the Lord over all of that. But, you know, this area right over here, I'm really happy with it. I think I've done a good job, and it makes me happy. This decision, you know, um, dating this person who is far from God or doesn't know God, doesn't, isn't interested in God, um, makes me happy, even though God is saying, hey, 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 I'd rather not have you do something like that. And the individual is like, in essence, the person is saying, God, I see what you're saying, but you're wrong. Paul is saying, listen, he's God and you're not. He knows what's best for you. You don't. He knows what is out in front of you. You don't. If I could illustrate it this way, um, uh, Lincoln is our is our grandson. He's the bomb, man. He's like he's he's the he's just like you're cool. And and uh, except when you keep us up at night, right? But but um, so he's two and a half, okay. And for sake of illustration, if I could just paint frame it this way, what Paul is doing and what he's talking about, if I could just frame it this way, if after church today I'm like, hey, Lincoln, let's load up, let's go, me and you, let's go to Lowe's, and, and we're going to buy some lumber, and, um, and I'm going to buy a couple power tools that I need to complete this project. But I want you, um, when we get home, I'm going to go in and eat lunch. And while I'm eating lunch, um, before you get lunch, I'm giving you a task. Because you'll work faster and better if you're hungry and, and so i'm going to give you a test i want you lincoln two and a half years old never worked a power tool in your life never screwed in a screw i want you to build mimi a new kitchen table and then while you're building i'm going in i'm going to eat lunch i'll come back out and check in on you in a couple hours and i'm glad uh, you know um taylor's on the front row going that is not going to happen you know, she's, she's hearing the, the, tool, the sound of power tools going, not, no. This is, how many know? Some of you are like, I'd like to see that table. 
But, but how many know Lincoln is way better at building a table at two and a half than I'll ever be at being God? Like, that table might not look right. He may not even understand what a table is. But that's what Paul is saying here. To drive that point home, Paul quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 29, verse 16. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say to the maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say to him who formed it, he, is not, he has no understanding. Verse, uh, chapter 45, verse 9, Woe to him who strives with him, who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. What Paul is saying is that there are, there are two huge mistakes the clay pot can make. As a clay pot, it's a huge mistake to say, I don't have a creator. A pot can't say, I am a self-generating pot. I just like I popped out of the ground as a lump of clay, and all of a, I laid there, and all of a sudden I rimmed out, and now I have a you know I have I have hand can't happen. Second mistake that is possible is for the pot that which was made to say my creator doesn't know what he's doing. Does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? Or your work has no handle. If I could just tease this out a little bit, here's what Paul is imagining. A clay pot going, hey, how is anyone going to use me? How are they going to tip me over? I'm a teapot. Tip me over and pour me out. How, how are they going to sing that song over me? I, I mean, I don't have any handles. And what Paul is saying is this. You're a vase. You belong on the mantle. You're not a teapot. This is the picture of the pot saying to the maker, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're up to. You don't know how to make me. And what's the first step in making the promises of God come alive to us? Where does this whole thing start? It's where you and I accept that he is God and we're not. What changes our worship? Acknowledging he is God and I am not. The second answer to the question of applying the promises of God is this. Is God is showing us who he is. God is interacting with people. He's reaching out to people. He's, he's calling people to repent. He's calling people to, to himself. I look out this morning and I, and I know stories of family members and I know uh, uh, places where kids are at and, and some of the decisions our kids uh, are making in the room and, and, and I know the worry and I know the burden of parents and, and grandparents and, and intentions and God is reaching out calling people to himself the evidence he sent his son he, he, he judges sin he's doing miracles he, send, he sends his Holy Spirit and doing all that he's revealing his character he's revealing his nature to us he does the same thing here. Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath 
and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared before for glory. Steve, I'm like totally lost. What's that mean? If we aren't careful as we're asking questions, all the questions can begin to revolve around us. What about me? What about my family? What about me and my and all that? And we get our eyes on ourselves and we lose sight of who he is. And God is saying, listen, 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 look at me. Not because he's insecure, not because he needs our attention, it's because of who he is, he's God. And the primary person in your salvation story isn't you. It's God. Did you have a role to play? Absolutely. Do you, if, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, do you have a role to play in that? Absolutely. But it's God who initiated it. I mean, I, I look back over my life. I was talking with somebody after service last week, and, and we were just kind of sharing stories. And I, looked back, I was looking back over my, uh, my life. Man, I, God wasn't on my radar. I didn't care about God. I wanted to live for myself. And, and, I, uh, and I see these decisions happening even back when I was in junior high school. And I had a group of friends that started using drugs. And, and I came from a broken home, and my, my friends were like everything to me. Because my mom was working like a, like a dog trying to put macaroni and cheese and pay our, our, our mortgage. She wasn't around much. And so friends became like, I can understand how people get involved in gangs because, because if I would have been in the right environment, that could have that could, been me. And friends became everything to me, but some of my friends began to use drugs and get involved in this thing. And, and for whatever reason, I was like, I'm not, I don't want to do that. And, and, and then, and it wasn't because I started making all just great decisions. But, but it was like God was like, like protecting me, shielding me, giving me opportunity to flee away from stuff and, and moving me and, and me responding to, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. And, and then myself and, and my best friend, he was my best man in our wedding, we both came to Christ within probably two weeks of each other. And, and today, both of us are sitting in pulpit or standing in pulpits, I should say, preaching the gospel. Why? Because God was leading and orchestrating our steps. We were responding in a way that was different than what our friends were. One of them committed suicide. One of them ended up in drug rehab. One of them, you know, is just, I don't know where he's at. What is the purpose? Let me ask you a question as you wrestle with how, how does he do it according to this passage of Scripture? Making known himself known to us. He does it in two ways. You won't like this, but it's the Bible. We'll let the Bible speak for itself. It can defend itself. He does it in two ways. Wrath and power. And you're like, wrath, wow. Sunday was a good, last Sunday was a lot better, Steve. But let, let's talk about wrath. What's the purpose of God's wrath? We, we talked extensively about it in chapters 1, 2, and 3 when we were in that, that part of Romans, but what's the purpose of God's wrath? To get you? To, to beat you down? To make you alone? To, to, like, overwhelm you? No. What is 
God's wrath for? What, what is it revealed against? Primarily, it's revealed against sin. Why against sin? Listen to me. Why against sin? Because sin is everything that God is not. Sin separates people from the relationships with God, from the relationships with other people. So God reveals his wrath against what separates people from him so that, that you can come closer to him. God says, my wrath is a warning. It's a harbinger of warning. Why? Because I don't want you to experience judgment. I don't want you to be separated from me. Now, watch what my wrath is carried out against and, and run from it and run to me. God's wrath is a product of his love because it's a lighthouse directing you to safety. And, and we, don't, we don't like think of it in that, in that way, but yet you see it here. God saves people from the clutches of death. He saves people from the, the deception of sin, saves people from the impact of harmful decisions. All of us across this room this morning are testimonies of that. All of us are sinners, right? Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. I know, because I am one, right? All of us need a Savior. So God sent his Son to be that. Notice what it says in verse 22. He endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. You're like, what? God prepares vessels to destroy them? I'm out of here. Can I leave right now, Steve? Is that what Paul is saying? Read it again. What if God, desiring to sow his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared, hand, pre prepared beforehand for glory? Who, let me ask you, look at it. Verse 23, the second part of verse 23. Who prepared the vessels of mercy? He has. Right? Now, he has is absent in verse 22. Who prepared the vessels of wrath? They did. How did they do that? No, thank you, God. I have this all under control. I will lead myself. I'm interested in doing it my way. If they're preparing themselves for destruction, what is God doing? He's enduring with much patience. God demonstrated patience with Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 7, verse 13, I mean 11. There's a, he gave him opportunity, opportunity, opportunity to repent and turn away. And, and Pharaoh would harden his heart. And the result of his decisions, then God would harden his heart. And, and you see that all this happening with evil in the world. He's patient. He's not wanting anyone to perish. He's patient with you. <laughs> He's patient. And he's saying to us, turn from sin and come to me. We apply the promises of God because he recognizes who God, we recognize who God is, but also we recognize judgment's coming. Well, Steve, you're just, just full of good news today. Verse 24, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Here, 
first time in Romans 9, Paul uses the term Gentiles is right here. A Gentile is just simply anyone who is, isn't a Jew, okay? Paul is setting this up. God's promises aren't just for Jews, but also for Gentiles. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember how Paul begins Romans 9. Paul's broken heart. He's brokenhearted over the lostness of his countrymen. Verse 24 and 27 through 27. You can read it. He's talking Jews and Gentiles. And he quotes from Hosea. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And, and in every, the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there you will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Paul starts with the Jews. He then moves to the Gentile. What is Paul saying? Judgment's coming. Why is he dealing with the Gentiles and the Jews? And God's wrath and, and all of this. He knows, he has to talk to them about it. But he pushes it back in the conversation because he wants to win them. How I many of Christians should stand for truth? You should lend your voice to truth. You should speak truth, absolutely. But can I just admonish you? Be wise in how you do that. Be cautious in how you do that as to not do it in a way that will be at the expense of people. You can do so simultaneously. Jesus taught with both grace and truth. That's what we want to be. Paul's heart was for people. It wasn't about winning the argument. It wasn't about winning people. It was about winning people. And Paul is modeling for us what you and I have to do. God has been gracious to me so I can be gracious to you. God has been patient with you so that you can be patient with other people. God has been long-suffering with all of us so that we can be long-suffering with all people. Whether your environment's at work or at home or at school, may our prayer not be, God, get me out of here. This is a horrible place. Maybe God is calling you to be patient, to be kind, to speak life, to demonstrate long-suffering. Why? Because it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And you and I have the awesome privilege, but awesome responsibility of modeling to people how God comes. He comes patiently, He comes gently, and He comes powerfully. But Paul feels the weight of the why, that judgment's coming, and, and so he finally says this, regarding the promises of God that you recognize the promise comes through faith. The question that hangs over this passage about Israel is, what about those who don't know? Paul wraps up this chapter by telling us what it takes. 
and what it takes is putting your, your faith in Jesus, that the worship team would come. Verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. In other words, what's going on here is we see God's standard and, and we're going to meet it in our own strength. That was the mindset of, of the Israelites in the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grip my teeth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that perfect Christian. I'm going to be that perfect Jew. I'm going to do, do it in my strength. And I'm nice to people. I'm going to try to do all the right things. And God will understand then, because of what I did in my efforts and my strength, that, that I deserve to be right with God. Not on the merits of faith and my trust in Him, but on the merits of what I did for Him. And, and Paul's like, uh-uh. That's not, that's not how it rolls. Why, he says in verse 30, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. They looked at the righteousness with God on the basis of performance, on the basis of their efforts, on the basis of who they thought they were, and not on Jesus. And Paul said they tripped over the stone, Jesus. What was Israel unwilling to do? They were unwilling to say, I need a Savior. Are you? As we talk about Romans 9, I'll wrap it up with this. We're talking about God's sovereignty, His plan. Some of it's a mystery that we try to, to the best of our abilities, wrap our minds around, our finite minds, trying to wrap around an eternal truth of God. Sometimes it just gives you a headache. It's like, ouch. But as we talk about God's plan of redemption, I couldn't help but think of an individual used by God before he even realized he was being used by God to spread the gospel. And that man is the author of Romans, Paul. If you know anything about Paul's life, as the church, as Jesus births his church in the power of the Holy Spirit, People are coming to faith in Christ. The, the church is growing. The kingdom of God is expanding in, in, in multiplying in powerful ways. And Paul rises up and he says, they're not doing it how we do it, how we think they should do it, and so we're going to squash it. And he begins to inflict the church with persecution. He's responsible for Stephen, one of the early leaders of the church. You see it in, in Acts 7. Responsible for Stephen's death. And what's the church's response to that? It's not to hunker down and, and to go to the basement and to hide out. The church flees to other regions and other places, but in fleeing, they're taking the gospel with them and they're proclaiming the gospel to those that they're coming into contact with. Even though, they're, even though their world is being rocked, they're, they're fulfilling the mission 
of the church. And, and the gospel is spreading. God's working in the midst of what some would say a very, and it was a very dark time. But yet, they're trusting in the promises and the direction of God. And God is using that. And in the midst of that, God meets Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And they have a, a come-to-Jesus moment talk, if you will. And G Paul is transformed, changed. Jesus becomes his Lord and Savior. Paul surrenders all that he is and quits singing the song, I'm going to do it my way, and surrenders. And God calls him and then places him to to go on assignment to places that have never heard the gospel. And so he too becomes an obedient, available vessel for God to use. And you and I, as we've said a lot here over the last several months, you and I are sitting here today because of people like Paul, people like the early Christians that even though they were being persecuted they, and they fled their home in fear of their life, they didn't flee the message of Christ in spite of the storm that was going on around them. They proclaimed it. And you and I are here today reaping the benefits of their obedience and the benefits of their faith to trust in God. So what's it going to be with your life? What's it going to be with our life? I trust Him. I'm going to walk obediently with Him, even when I don't get it, even when it's painful, even when it's frustrating, even when I want to do it my way because it's like I'm having fun doing it my way. And He says, no, no, let's do it this way now. All right, God, because Your way will bring the greatest joy. I'm going to do it Your way. Father God, in these moments as we wrap up this day, I thank You Lord, as we've dived into a challenging portion of Scripture yet again today, thank you for everyone's attentiveness to your word. God, now Holy Spirit, do with your word what only you can do with it. Transform us. Help us to have a holy confidence in you to walk out what you're calling us to be, what you're calling us to do. God, knowing that you go before us, knowing that you are sovereign, you are in control, and you're leading us, and may our answer be to you, yes, Lord, yes to your ways, yes to your will, because I know you have good things in store, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the teaching. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us for next Sunday's service with Pastor Steve Rains.